holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. El envío al área, el remate, y ahí está el primer tanto del partido, no lo celebra por supuesto, Aaron Ramsey, 0 a 1 para el Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, I have to mention, of course, this Arscast Extra is brought to you in association with deskbeers.com. And if ever there was a morning to drink a beer at your desk, <laughs> this is it. It certainly is. Yeah, so check out deskbeers.com. We'll give you some more info later on on how you can get 10% off your first order. But basically all you do is uh, order some beer, they bring you the beer, you drink the beer, and uh, possibly drink it at your desk, under your desk, around your desk, wherever. Deskbeers.com. James... How are you feeling this morning? Pretty good, I'll be honest with you. Uh, pretty swell. I mean, it's unusual for us to open with a question, but at Fitzer13 asked, simply, how fucking much did you enjoy that? I enjoy that quite a lot, I have to say. When it became apparent that... I don't know, I never quite got the the dread. You know, sometimes you play United away from home and you have the dread. And oh, I had I had dread. I, I had, had a little bit, dread. but I mean, not 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 the not the killer. Oh God, terrible dread. I said mm-hmm. to I was chatting with Andrew Allen at halftime, and I said, guarantee you, this referee is going to find a way to fuck us in the second half. Right. Yeah. That was some top class jinxing, and I want the respect that I deserve for that. I mean, that is impressive work from you. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, we've done some things on this podcast in the past as far as Jinx are concerned, but uh, that's that's using your powers for, for good, certainly. Mm, and you know what? I think when, when Welbeck's goal went in, it felt like the kind of goal that we would concede against them. Because if you think back to the, the league game, remember when... Uh, Fellaini pushed Gibbs in the back straight into Chesney and the goal took a deflection and all that kind of stuff. It felt like the kind of goal that they would score against us and we'd be going, oh, fuck it. That's so easy to not concede that goal. And, and, And to me, that felt significant at the time. I suppose. I mean, even you think back to Thomas Vermaelen providing the assist for Robin van Persie. A oh, top, top class assist, in fairness. A top class assist. And this time we, we owe gratitude to Antonio Valencia for that incisive through ball. Yeah. What did you make of the decision to start Danny Welbeck? Because uh, I think from what the manager was saying afterwards, it was obviously something that he, I won't say agonised over, but it was something that he wasn't 100% sure of until very late. He said he didn't tell Welbeck until quite late that he was going to start. Now, maybe that was to to ease his nerves or, or, or something like that. But I suspect when you've got a player like Giroud who scored in his last two games, who's, uh, whose form has been excellent uh, apart from that Monaco game, obviously when you have a player like that, to, to drop him essentially for, for a guy who hasn't scored since the end of December, it's a brave move. But one mm. ultimately that, that proved um, decisive. I think so because... I'm not sure Giroud scores that goal. You know, Welbeck moved pretty quick to get onto that loose ball and, and get round the keeper. Yes. Um, so, you know, while he didn't actually have a particularly good game in the first half, he, he was struggling a little bit to hold the ball up. <clears throat> he His touch looks a little bit erratic. I mean, you've got to remember, I don't think he's played centre-forward since probably November, has he? Yeah. He's, he's been out wide for quite a long time now. And it looked a little bit like that. He looked rusty in that position. But um, it paid off in the end. And, and Austin said himself there was a psychological element to his decision. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously the player had an enormous amount to prove. And just a great night for him. I mean, it must be so satisfying. And, and as an Arsenal fan, obviously, 
a brilliant see him celebrate the goal, you know, none of that muted celebration nonsense. Yeah, I mean, why why shouldn't he celebrate? You know, United basically told him, away you go, you're not good enough. Yeah. Which is kind of amazing when you look at Falcao on the sideline and they, they're paying him £350,000 a week and they need a goal to stay in the FA Cup, the only competition they can realistically win a trophy in this season. And he doesn't even get on doesn't even get on the pitch. So why shouldn't he celebrate against a team that told him he's not as good as that? Like I'm not saying mm. Welbeck is Falcao when Falcao is the real Falcao, mm. but clearly this is a, a much a much inferior version. What I liked about Welbeck, I have to say, is the fact that the first half was bad. You know, mm-hmm. the, I, I think the occasion got to him. I, I think he was unfortunate a couple of times in that. He got himself into some reasonable positions, and I think we've spoken about this before, where he he tends to be like a, almost like a second choice for some of the, the players when they come forward, and Alexis a couple of times made the wrong decision when he could have played well back in. Would have been easy for him to get, you know, for his head to go down, for the occasion to get to him, but what he did was um, work his way into the game with just mm-hmm. sheer effort and endeavour, and... I think if anyone was going to score, uh, it was going to be him. Yeah, it's a really interesting point you make, actually, because the FA uh, do this thing like a tunnel cam, where they have a camera in the tunnel at Old Trafford last night. Is that what a tunnel cam is? Indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I know it's confusing, but um, if anyone else needs anything explained, do write in and I'll, I'll do my best. All right. But um, <laughs> th- there's a great shot at half-time of Welbeck and Alexis coming off the pitch together and they're having a conversation Welbeck talking in English Alexis in Spanish and there's lots of gesturing going on and I think it was about one of those instances where Welbeck felt he wasn't getting maybe the service that his his runs deserved yeah but you know he just doesn't quit does he that's the thing like that's his defining attribute is that hard work and he just doesn't stop going and the goal was a consequence of that chasing on something that maybe not everyone would have done you know as a it was a half a, a possibility of a chance. And mm. He got there and scored the goal. Um, I, I, I think there probably couldn't have been a better sound for him to leave the pitch to than the boos of, of Manchester United fans. Mm. Um, in a way, a testament to to what he did and 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 how he impacted on the game. Um, I thought the celebration was was great, um, and I, I doubt there's too many United fans who are really offended by that. Um, uh, and it was fantastic. First goal. Nacho Monreal back in the side after Kieran Gibbs had come back in and played quite well it has to be said I thought Gibbs was very good in our last game against whoever it was who was that? QPR was QPR, it? QPR yeah I thought yeah. Gibbs was one of uh, one of our best players on that night which mm-hmm. you know it's not saying a huge amount but I thought he's been good since he came back in but Monreal uh, over the past two or three months uh, and indeed for most of the season has been uh, has been very very solid indeed um, that was a that was a brilliant finish kind of nonchalant five aside keepers coming out just put it around him finish from a left back brilliant yeah, I know and to be honest when it came to him I thought he might square it because the, the angle was sort of narrowish, and mm. he had people in the middle but when you watch the replays back his eyes are always on the goal he knows exactly what he's doing incredibly confident finish and I thought he was I think he might have been our best player actually on balance yeah. I thought he was excellent regardless. You know, yeah. I thought he was just superb defensively and going forward. Mm. He was right up there. I mean, I think Coquelin was fantastic and, and Cazorla yeah. was very, very good again in a very understated way. Uh, sometimes Cazorla catches the eye by doing remarkable things with the football. Mm-hmm. What he did last night was do unremarkable things with the football and with himself, with his, uh, with his um, positioning and with his awareness. And he played quite deep. Yeah, he was very deep last night. Um, yeah, and, and I think, you know, this is a team sometimes that has been a little bit fragile mentally, and we know the old cliches about Arsenal not liking it up them. The first couple of minutes, Coquelin gets a smash across his broken nose from Fellaini, and, you know, I guess that's designed to rattle the player and rattle the team and, and see if they can put us on the back foot, but... Uh, it was David Wall uh, in his tweet says that in 12 duels with Fellaini following that incident, Coquelin won 10 of them, um, which is uh, which is fantastic. And when you think about, I know people have spoken about the 8-2, mm-hmm. 
uh, and how that was a terrible, terrible day f- for Coquelin. I think much of what happened that day, well, not much, but a, a lot of it was, was down to Coquelin being taken off. Yeah, it was 3-1 It was 3-1 when, when he went off, and then all of a sudden we don't have any defensive shield in our midfield, and, well, well, all the goals went in. But we don't want to focus on that because um, that was shit, and last night was great. But I think <laughs> it's, it's almost redemptive, isn't it, that um, having been written off uh, by so many people, um, Alex Ferguson saying we'd never even heard of Coquelin during that game, you know, to come back and, and to, to have gained the stature that he has in the short space of time that uh, he's been in the team since coming back from Charlton, it's just absolutely one of the best stories of this season. Yeah, he has been outstanding in the last couple of months and he deserves so much credit. I thought last night was really impressive because, you know, he's always physical, but I thought last night he was smart too. He recognised that he couldn't always win necessarily the first ball against Fellaini, so he would let it bring him down. Then when the ball was at his feet, take it away from him. He, He showed a canniness that is incredibly invaluable to us because we haven't had that in the side. We haven't had a player. It's so simplistic, but when Austin Vega talks about why uh, Cochrane's made the progress he has, he says he, because he focused on what he's good at, because mm. he, he reduced his game. He said, look, I, I can be a ball winner and I can play it simply. And it's absurd, but we haven't had many midfielders who had that kind of defined role in the team. And he seems to have really embraced it. And he's very, very good at it. I thought, you know, I mentioned Montreal, but Coquelin was right up there in terms of performances. And the way that, you know, we always talked about needing a, a kind of hard man central midfielder. We always imagined him being about six foot five. And then you've got Coquelin there. This guy's got kind of average height, but he's so uh, determined in his approach that it doesn't really make a difference. And he's, he's powerful too. So yeah, he, I think he's doing tremendously well. And, you know, when he first broke into the side, I think I was a bit reticent with him. I was a bit like, well, I want to see him do it over a longer period. And you've got to take your hat off. He's done that. Mm. And he absolutely deserves to stay in the team at present. Mm. I'm a huge fan of the cock. Yeah, well, that is what I've heard, yeah. Mm. The referee. um, Oh, the referee. Right. Great, I thought. Yeah. Uh, Referees this season have been in the news for being bad. And they have been bad. Um, But to see Michael Oliver... I think you've got to be a bit brave. Sorry, that was my phone. But I think you've got to be brave as an official to do what he did at Old Trafford. Not only for the sending off, but for the subsequent one with with Yana's eye, where I think other referees would have given the easy decision. The easy decision there was a penalty. Mm. Um, the, the howls of the crowd were hilarious, I have to say, particularly for the Yana's eye one. They've, that was just brilliant because it's almost as if they've had to then suffer in those few minutes what countless teams have had to endure when they go to Old Trafford is these decisions going against them. And I thought in the first half, like I said, I was worried because there were certain uh, things, certain players, Fellaini, for example, who seemed to get away with countless fouls um, without necessarily being uh, spoken to by, by the referee. But he got the... We got the sending off, right? I think. Yeah. For me as well. I mean, to be honest, he showed a second yellow for for grabbing at him, you know, for Di Maria grabbing at him. I, I kind of feel like if you put your hands on a referee, that should be a straight red regardless. But but Rooney had his arms around the referee when, when Di Maria sort oh, of really? pulled him I in the back. I, yeah, it looked, looked to me like he had his arms around, just sort of arm around the shoulder, matey, matey, come on, what are you doing? That was that should be a free kick for us, even though Di Maria dived. Um, mm. But well, yeah. But I mean, strong refereeing. So credit where it's due. Yeah, definitely. That's not an easy decision. I mean, I suppose any team captained by Wayne Rooney is going to be prone to diving. But even so, to pick up two bookings for it in the same game. Quite quite impressive stuff. Mm. I think it lays them bare for what they are. Were you? Um, what did you think of the way that United played? Well, yeah, it I mean, was I quite long ball, wasn't it? Yeah, I suppose it's not our business, but I mean, it was quite. In, it was fascinating, really, to see. I felt like they they played, and I say this as an Arsenal fan who's seen this several times myself, like, like without any discernible plan. And if there was a plan, it was to whack it long to Fellaini. And while I can understand seeing maybe our, the centre of our defence as a potential weak point and trying to expose that with aerial balls, 
I did think it was strange to see a team with so many capable players resorting to such a basic tactic. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think if I was a United fan, I would have been quite alarmed by that performance because, you know, Wojciech Szczesny didn't really make a notable save for me. He didn't have to. No. Um, I mean, I'm very surprised that someone like Juan Mata, the kind of player that can cause us damage, mm. uh, you know, with his with his cleverness and his ability on the ball, he stayed on the bench. Obviously, Van Hal doesn't fancy him. Uh, he took Herrera, who I thought was United's best midfielder in the first half, took him off. Yeah, um, that was, I mean, making two changes at half-time, even if one was enforced by injury, that's a big statement. That kind of has to work, you know, or you leave yourself in a bit of a corner. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't think bringing Caricom really made any difference. No. I mean, it just was somebody from deeper, another option to, to launch the ball into into our box from deep. So, look, mm. um, what does it say about us now as a team that we've gone to... We're we're confusing in a way, aren't we? Because we've we've gone to the the watch it. Where did Man City play? The Etihad. The Etihad. Um, yeah. yeah, we've gone there and won. We've gone to Old Trafford and won. We've done what we did against Monaco. Done um, what we did against Spurs. I guess, yeah, as well, so. you know. So that, that there's there's a an element of confusion because some of the issues that we've all had a problem with, which is the fact we can't go away from home and win against big teams. You know, we should have beaten Liverpool as well this season. Um, you know, we've addressed some of those, but some of the other failings f- continue to, to, to frustrate a little bit. But should we be encouraged by the fact that maybe the uh, maybe the issues that, that um, we have addressed, this going away from home, were... There, there were quite big ones in terms of the psychology of the team and, 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 and its confidence... Uh, going away from home, that maybe in in the long term they'll be beneficial, or they be we can see the benefits of them um, in, in seasons to come, rather than something like Monaco, which, as much as you like to put it down to a failing, and it was a big failing, um, was just a night where a lot of things went wrong. Maybe. Well, look, it's progress, isn't it? I mean, last season we might we probably wouldn't have won any of those fixtures. You know, this time round, we've beaten City and we've beaten United. As you say, we were we were better at Liverpool. Uh, well, we weren't great, but we, we were close, close to result. Mm. And we actually were better at Stamford Bridge than we were in the last few years too. So I do think, I do think, in, as regards to the big games, we are moving in the right direction. Certainly in terms of the results, and I think there has been a difference in the way we've set up. Louis Van Gaal said before the game, he's noticed a more defensive Arsenal. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily how I'd categorise it, but I think there is a more cautious approach than the Cavalier stuff that that saw us undone so many times. And that's probably why Arsene Wenger was so frustrated with what happened against Monaco, because we did go gung-ho in those last few minutes and it cost us so badly. So I do think that there is a, a positive change taking place. And, and obviously that's not going to work every time. You can't win all those big games, but... To win the ones we've had is a is a big step forward, a big step forward, and surely gives the players belief, you know, going into other big games that they can they can do it again. You'd have to think that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, you'd like to, and you'd like to think also as well that the fact that he's picked Welbeck and Welbeck has performed and produced hmm. is also good from the point of view that we, we, we've talked about competition for places and how this competitive environment can drive players and keep players on their toes. So Giroud, having scored twice in his last two games, having put Monaco behind him, having scored a load of goals before Monaco, now knows that, well, look, I'm still not untouchable. I've got to keep producing if I want to stay in the team ahead of Danny Welbeck. So I think that's a really positive, uh, a positive aspect of things as well. Nacho Monreal, where yeah. when Gibbs has come back into the side and played really well, um, he's he's gone and done one better, which is very interesting. What did you make it? I thought it was quite interesting that the manager um, hauled off Bellerin <laughs> fairly quickly after that uh, foul on on Ashley Young, and I think Young obviously made the most of it. But that that's perhaps the kind of reactive management that we've been critical of him for not producing in the past. 
Yeah, because Bellerin picked up a booking very early on, didn't he? I think it was third minute or something like that. It was a, a stone-cold yellow card as well. Yeah, it really yeah. was. He absolutely lowered actually, yeah. young up in the air. Yeah, well, I don't mind a bit of that, but he... Um, I thought he managed that pretty well, and you know, until around the hour mark when he came off. You know, for an inexperienced player, and we've actually seen that a few times with him this season. I think where he's picked up a booking relatively early and then, and then coped all right with it. I, um, I think you know, it turned out to be a good change. I think it was probably the right thing to do, even if I was, to be honest, slightly worried about Chambers on that right hand side. I know that his his pace can be a exposed at times, but yeah, you're right. It was a. It was a, it was a bold change from the manager, and I think and a decisive one, and a sign of his confidence really. As was leaving out Giroud, you know, we talked about that, but having that, having that sort of a sense of you know I'm going to go and do make this slightly risky choice, and I, I feel like it will pay off. That shows a manager who, you know, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's at the peak of his powers, but he's certainly in a position where he feels confident in his choices, and I think that's beneficial because. When Arsene isn't making any changes, you know you get a bit concerned about mm. him. That's one of the one of the signs that things aren't going too well when he's loath to make a substitution. So positive, definitely. Yeah, perhaps um, down to the quality of the squad that he's got to choose from. Previously, yeah. he didn't necessarily have uh, the options that he's that he's got right now. So we've got so many options. I mean, with with you know Anne Ramsey back now and couple more not far away, Jack Wilshire not far away. I mean, we're at the point where it becomes genuinely difficult to pick a substitute bench, mm. which is only a good thing, certainly. Agree. All right. Okay. What we're going to do is going to take a short break. Uh, we'll collect our thoughts and then we'll answer uh, some of your questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra, where we're sitting here gloating over a 2-1 FA Cup win over Manchester United last night, and a, a draw against Bradford or Reading, James. Mm. Positive. I mean, I keep saying positive, that, but, you know, it seems an appropriate word today. Mm. It's a pretty it's a pretty good draw, all things considered, and uh, despite the fact we have our issues with Bradford in the uh, not-too-distant past in cup competition... The difference this time is that we don't have uh, Gervinho. So. Exactly. Crucially. And we, uh, we certainly owe them one. Yes, indeed. Uh, just to remind you that this Arsecast Extra is brought to you in association with deskbeers.com. They have beer. You have a desk. You go to deskbeers.com, sign up, order some beer, and they will deliver it to you on a Friday. You then drink the beer. This seems like almost a perfect plan. It seems like an ideal arrangement. To get 10% off your very first order with deskbeers.com, just use the code ARSCAST10. That's the code ARSCAST10, and you will get 10% off your first order from deskbeers.com. And were it not 8.30 in the morning, I might even have a beer now, but it is. <laughs> I've got to drive later, and look, nobody, nobody should do that. So check it out, deskbeers.com. Time now for your questions. James, you may go first. Oh, Thank you kindly. No, that, that's but, fine. That's fine. Good, sir. You're uh, obviously in generous mood in like, I, I last certainly night's am. <laughs> Well, the first question comes from uh, the man from East Lower, and he asks, should that blue strip just quit while it's ahead, retire, and release its autobiography? <laughs> uh, maybe. I, I was, I won't say I was bothered that we were playing in blue last night, but I'm not a big fan of, of Arsenal in blue in general. It, mm. it, I've got bad memories of it. For me, Arsenal in blue is a three-minute Robbie Fowler hat-trick. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's what I've always associated with, with the blue kit. Um, and that one, I don't know, the socks are kind of this weird light blue and the shirts are, you know, I don't know why we couldn't have played what in color, yellow. What colour are the numbers? They're kind of like a, a greeny, yellowy colour, which and, is quite weird. Yeah, and the font, it looks like somebody got Comic Sans and got it drunk and just slapped <laughs> it on the back of a... On the back of the shirts. So, may, yeah, maybe it should. But I, I, I'm guessing that is uh, our away-from-home cup kit. Right. So if we're away from home in the cup, or if there's a kit clash in a cup competition, and we have to change shirts, that's what we're, we're going to wear. Well, um, that means if we get to a final, potentially against Liverpool... We could play a final in blue. Oh, imagine if we got to the final against Liverpool 
and you think of the iconic Charlie George image, Liverpool mm. in red, Arsenal yeah. in yellow and blue, Charlie George lying on the turf, celebrating that goal that beat Liverpool, and we're in, we're in blue? No, that can't happen. That can't I think, happen. I think Eastlow is right. I think that kit should, should retire on top. Mm. Just build a great big bonfire of all those shirts now and burn the shite yeah. out of them. Like a, like a Viking funeral. Yeah. Just put them on a pyre and push them out to sea. Yeah, it's done its job. It's had its moment. It's not going to get much better than this. Mm. So, you know, it, it should make its way to shirt dignitas and, and just see, it, see, its, uh, see its way out. And if Maran Fellaini happens to be amid that burning rubble, so much the better, to be honest with you. I can't, I just... He's so bad, isn't he? Just... I mean... Andreas Nahas asked, I'm going to go straight to it. Okay. Legitimate question, is Fellaini the dirtiest player in the Premier League? He's one of them. He's got to be up there, hasn't he? Yeah, he really is. Now, you know, some players are kind of... I think there's a, a tallness and boniness to him that makes him difficult to play against anyway. But yeah. there's also uh, an elbowiness and a kickiness and a thugginess that also makes him uh, difficult to play against and, and quite dirty. I mean, that that... There's just no way that Cockerlands know. This is John Grills from the Creepy Podcast. With Best Christmas Ever on AMC Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men. New series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond. And you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Got, got whacked into his face in the early stages by accident. No chance. Yeah, it's one of those where these kinds of gangly players... I mean, Crouch, Crouch is another one you think of. Yeah, he's um, a dirty cunt as well, though. Yeah, like they, they get away with quite a lot because people go, well, it's sort of not their fault, is it? You know, they're sort of awkward shapes and sizes, but I think they, they both players take advantage of that to sneak in a lot of really mm. underhand stuff. I think when you're that tall, sometimes your elbows are at face height to certain players. You know, there's yeah, a, sure. that's, that's nature or physics or well, whatever you might call it. This is a science show too, guys. Yes, it really is. And the hypotenuse, no. Um, <laughs> but the the fact that Fellaini sticks his elbows about all over the place and gets away with making... Like, Herrera was booked in the first half for, for a single foul on... Could have been Alexis. And I think mm-hmm. he got double teamed, Alexis, by Herrera and Di Maria. But somehow Herrera got a yellow card... But Fellaini is allowed sort of clobber his way around the pitch with impunity. I don't quite get... How, I don't know how he gets away with it. Because it's not as if he's not obvious. You know, he's no. not some kind of um, indescript-looking guy. He's a big fuzzy wanker bashing his way around the fucking football pitch. Elbows akimbo. Players lying down going, Shit, I've just been fucking elbowed in the face by, you know, that big tall guy with a massive head and hair. How are you not seeing this? Is he just too obvious? Maybe it's that. I, maybe I, it's that. I played a game of football once, right? Um, and I think maybe this it could be it. We, um, our striker went through on goal, and the defender elbowed him straight in the face in the penalty area. Our striker went down. Referee played on. Gave nothing. And we were obviously a little bit upset by this. So I had a word with the referee at halftime, and I said, ref, did you see what happened there where the guy elbowed our player in the face? And he said, yeah, I saw it. I just couldn't believe my eyes. <laughs> well, Seriously. I think, I think that's so maybe, the only, maybe that's part of it. That's the only explanation from Aaron Fellaini, I think. Uh, 
That's an, that's brilliant from that ref. Who was I mean, he, he said could, he could he could probably get a job at the Premier League. Yeah, that's what he said. He said I couldn't <laughs> believe my eyes. That's why I just I just could, I didn't know what to do. I was going far be it for me to tell you your job here, but what you <laughs> should have done is give him a red card and <laughs> give us a penalty. And he went, you're right. <laughs> I'll yeah. do that in the future. Ah, oh, well, there you go. At least he learned, he's learned his lesson. There is a kind of moral to the tale. But yeah, and he's not hes not much of a player, is he, Fellaini? That's the thing. Like, I do think he's an interesting sort of option in the last 10 minutes as a kind of battering ram. But mm. to use him as plan A, very strange from United. Yeah, yeah. Especially the, the, when some of the players uh, we touch on, like Mata... Yeah. There was one point he had the ball like 40 yards. It was like in the last five minutes of the game and he dropped right deep and he picked the ball up on the halfway line. And I was like, well, I'm not worried at all now. The only thing he might he, he, the only thing he might do is sort of like hide the ball in his hair and then just run down the field. That's the only thing I was worried about. But with the ball at his feet, no problem. Yeah, exactly. I actually remember that very bit as well because... Um, uh, they looked up and it was going, right, we'll launch it to... Oh, shit. He's yeah, it was literally <laughs> that, yeah. He'd come back to the halfway line. It was like, oh, no. Oh, and I think fun. he just gave it to someone else yeah. and then Hang just started second, running. I'm, I'm yeah. going, I'm going. I'm doing it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what's, what's the consensus? Fuck him, I think. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the answer. All right. Is it my turn? I think so, yeah. All right. Um, this is a question from John Redmond at JR Shot Who. And he wants to know, and there's a, probably a wider discussion to be had here, who was Arsene Wenger going to bring Theo on for last night before Oxlade-Chamberlain got injured because he was kitted and ready to go? Yeah, I don't know. Theo definitely thought he was coming on, didn't he? It yeah. Way to me. Um, do, do you think that possibly before Oxlade-Chamberlain was, was injured that we were considering a substitution, a different kind of substitution? After 50 minutes... Get a grip, man. Sorry, uh, what am I thinking? <laughs> um, I don't know. My, so watching it live, it looked to me like Walcott thought he was coming on for Oxlade-Chamberlain. But it might have just been a coincidence, as you say. Perhaps he was, I don't know, perhaps he was going to come on for Danny Welbeck, who'd had a bit of a difficult game until that point. Mm. I, I, re- I really don't, don't know. What did you make of that? I, I don't know, because I thought it was odd. On the television, they thought that Arsenal were going to make a double change. Um, yeah. Because Ramsey for Oxley Chamberlain seemed a good, good, uh, a good idea to me in terms of keeping the shape and the balance of the team in midfield. That that seemed to me a better idea than than Walcott for Oxley Chamberlain. But there was there would have been no reason for Walcott to be stripped or getting ready unless he'd been told, right? He must have I been. No, unless he was just trying to make a point to Arsene Wenger, you know, just like. Taking the initiative. <laughs> Here I, I am. Look at yeah. me. Oh, God. I'm really ready to go out there and play. I don't know if oh. anyone's noticed, but yep. I am ready. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. But because uh, Danny Murphy was on co-commentary for BBC and when Oxlade Chamberlain got injured, he said, oh, Arsene sent Aaron Ramsey out there. I think that's a bit weird. I'd have Theo Walcott coming on. And then they cut to Walcott sort of stripping off into his kit, as it were. And he was like, oh, there he is. He was. He felt redeemed. Only, only to be proved wrong when Walcott then sat down once again, which yeah. I certainly enjoyed. I don't think Walcott enjoyed it much, though. I mean, the guy just cannot get off the bench at present. It's a, it's a strange situation, isn't it's it? It's definitely a thing now, isn't it? Like it's 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 happening too frequently for it to be. Yeah, just a kind of weird oddity. I know we spoke about this the other week, but maybe. You know, some shit has gone down in terms of the the contract because I know a few weeks ago Arsene Wenger said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna talk with Theo's people soon." Um, I'm just trying to Google it here as we speak, and he said, "Oh, we'll we'll talk about it, but you know, it's you know, it's on the agenda. We're gonna we're gonna do it." Um, and he just, you know, he hasn't played. He hasn't been allowed off the bench, and that's the best way I, I can think about it. 2014. November 3rd is a story here um, about opening talks with Theo Walcott over a new contract. And then there's a story from February the 20th. Let me see here. Um, 
a quote from Arsene Wenger. It's in the Express, so I'm dubious as to its uh, veracity. But this is February the 20th. Nothing has happened yet with Theo. It's too early. Um, It's hard not to think that the contract situation is is playing or isn't playing a part at this point, right? I mean, he's been an unused sub in four of the last five games. I think that speaks volumes, really. Does the circumstances of those games not play a part, though, as well, just to play devil's advocate? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess probably not a 2-0 win over Everton. I mean, I I can't see... I can't remember the specifics of that game right off the top of my head, but Mm. I can't see an obvious reason why he wouldn't get off the bench there. But in in the other games, we've had narrow leads. They were three... Uh, 2-1 wins away from home. Yeah, he's he's not a guy that you bring off the bench when you're trying to hang on to a 2-1 lead. Simple as that. No. But, I mean, the problem is, for him, is that we have players who you can bring on in that situation and and who you can also bring on when you're chasing a goal. Oxlade-Chamberlain would be one, Welbeck would be another. Um, So it's a very very strange one. I, uh, I do wonder if the contract's played a part because we've talked about this before, I know, but... Last time he was going through these negotiations, there was a period where he was out the side mm. for quite a long time, and Arsene insisted it was nothing to do with his contract. But I think that plainly wasn't the case. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, he can't be happy with the amount of minutes that he's played, especially having been out for so long. He must have been so eager to get back into the team and the swing of things. I mean, is there a chance he's being managed from a physical point of view that they just don't want to take any risks with him? I don't know, maybe, but I mean, I don't think we've heard of any of any underlying issue. Yeah, and he did come back and he scored three goals in four games, something like that. And he was yeah. being used with a with relative frequency then, but since perhaps Welbeck has come back, he he's proving a, a difficult option for the manager to fit into the team. Mm. You know. Um, yeah, it's it's a curious a curious situation. I, mean, I get the sense that Welbeck, you know, when 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 Arsene signed Welbeck, there was some kind of doubts about how hot on him he was. You know, there were there wasn't loads of praise for him in the media. There was even talk about whose signing it was. I don't think that had much foundation, but it was clearly an emergency signing. It was clearly something done on the last day. Mm. But if you listen to Arsene talk about Welbeck now, I think his admiration for him as a player has grown because of his team ethic, because of you know the way he, he plays for his partners and he works so hard for the side. And every time you hear that, you can't th- help but think of it relative to Walcott. And I think that those players are kind of in a direct competition at present for game time and, and Welbeck's clearly winning that battle. Well... Scoring against United will certainly do his cause some good, and uh, maybe it's down to maybe it's down to trying to get more from Walcott to get him to respond to the to the environment, the competitive environment that's that's present at this moment in time. That when he does get a chance, he can't he can't not produce. He can't exist on reputation. Perhaps so. I, I don't know. It's it's definitely there's definitely something going on, but quite what it is, I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. Mm. Um, we we shall see though, you know. And I think it'll be an eventful summer because those contract negotiations will be fascinating mm. to watch unfold. Uh, do we have another question? Yes. Okay. Um, all right. This is a good one. I say it is. I mean, I haven't got it yet. So this is from Robin Stanford. <laughs> And he says, they're all good, that's how I do. Yeah. Um, he says, with Cochlear's rise, there was an obvious pun to be made there, mm-hmm. is there a need to spend big money on a defensive midfielder this summer? Can he improve even more with more games? Yeah, I'm sure he can. Um, I guess it depends on what the manager wants to do with his squad. Um on the basis of of the way he's played, Coquelin has been fantastic. Thoroughly merits his place in the team. Brings something to the team that it's been missing in terms of his midfield aggressiveness, the way he uses the ball. I think that's something as well that's uh, a bit overlooked with Coquelin is that he's a player. He's mm-hmm. not just a, a breaker-upper, a destructive force. 
he can find space and he can pass the ball and he can use it well and simply. Um, and I think Arsene Wenger mentioned that the other day that you know he was kind of caught between being a playmaker and a defensive midfielder. And he's concentrated now on what he's good at. But obviously, if you're nearly a playmaker, you can obviously see a pass and, and use the football well. And I think he does that. He does that really well. Um, so, in the squad, we've got Arteta. There's also Flamini. So, does he go out and spend twenty five million pounds on Morgan Schneiderlin? Is Morgan Schneiderlin that much better than what we're seeing from Francis Coquelin? I mean, I can't say I've watched a great deal of. Uh, Southampton um, throughout the season other than when they played us and bits and pieces on on match of the day but you could say before Coquelin we had a need for a player like Schneiderlin who could fill that gap because there was an obvious gap in midfield right there was something missing yeah 100% that's not missing anymore so I don't know do we need backup do we need somebody better than Coquelin I don't know. It seems it seems to me that if a guy comes in and plays the way that he's been playing, signs a new deal, um, and brings many of the things that your midfield is missing, to then go out and buy a player who might not be anywhere as good as that, I don't know. If you can find, I think if you can find a better player in any position, you go and do it. So it's it's whether or not we can find somebody who's better than uh, Coquelin. And it's worth mm. spending that money on. Like if you get a world, world-class defensive midfielder, go for it. But if I you're going to spend $25 million on Schneiderlin, I'm not convinced that that's necessarily the best way of spending your money. Is there, is there, a, is there an argument that you need two Cocklands in the same way that you need Nacho Monreal and uh-huh. Kieran Gibbs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... I don't know, like, we, we Cockland's played pretty much every game since he came into the team back in, I don't know, December or whatever it was. Mm. But is that something you can rely on over the course of the season? And can Flamini and Arteta, can they do that? You know, can they bring what he brings? Um, I don't know, I wonder if you have to go and get someone else just so you've got the security of having two. And if Cockland, if they, if they push each other on to great heights, then so much the better. Yeah, sure, i got no problem with that too. If that's if that's what he wants to do, um, yeah. I mean, it uh, it all depends on who's out there and, and for what price. Yeah, for sure. And the other question I, I slightly have is, I wonder if we almost need a different type of central midfielder. I mean, I'm not convinced yet necessarily by any of the candidates to partner Francis Cochlear. Um I know that we've got a lot of players with a lot of ability there. Santi Cazorla has been absolutely excellent and. Aaron Ramsey and Jack Wilshire can be on their day, but mm. I'm not sure there's one candidate who's sort of head and shoulders nails it for me. I'm still not sure that that's Cazorla's best position. Is is that is I mean, at Southampton is Wanyama not the de facto defensive midfielder? Is he not the the base of their midfield? And and Schneiderlin is the guy who plays with him rather than as the out and out defensive midfielder. So maybe a Schneiderlin purchase could give you an option as a defensive midfielder, but also as a partner to a defensive midfielder. That would, yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, I I don't see Southampton enough to speak with great authority on that, but I think, you know, a cockland schneiderlin partnership would certainly be, uh, mm. would be useful in some games. Schneider-cock. Exactly. We were all thinking it. Does whatever a Schneider-cock can. Uh, yeah, basically, I think that come the summer, when I think about the areas of the team that might be strengthened, they tend to be all through the, the centre of the side. But I do think central midfield is one where mm. we could do with a new player. And, and that's partly because I don't think Aaron Ramsey or Jack Wilshire have quite fulfilled expectations yet. Whether Arsene Wenger is prepared to jeopardise their development by doing that and jeopardise the development of Francis Cockland potentially, I don't know. Knowing what we know about Arsene it wouldn't be an enormous surprise if he said, no, I've given the new deal to Cochlear. I don't want to, you know, impinge on his first team prospects. He's the guy. Yeah. Um, I do think there's a substantial chance of that. But if it were me, I'd be looking at the midfield as an area where Mm. we could definitely improve. All right. Uh, Okay, here's a question from Rohat Kiran at AAR underscore K. And he says, another hamstring. 
when do we start getting critical about Shad Forsyth? Should we be worried that in two consecutive games we've lost two players to hamstring Gabrielle, obviously, against Queen's Park Rangers and uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain last night? Oh, I hadn't thought of it like that. I mean, it is a bit of a worry, I suppose. It's nothing new, really. Players um, have had hamstrings their whole since lives. Since time began. Mm. There uh, were some players in the in the past without hamstrings, but they, they were no good. <laughs> I mean, Thomas Rosicki was one for quite a long time. <laughs> um, a quick note on Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, by the way, how brilliantly he did for the first goal. I don't think I, I mentioned it earlier, but that was some great footwork from him. Yeah. And uh, I thought he looked dangerous, actually, in the limited time he was on the field. But um, it is a worry. But I, I think as regards Shad, I do think you've got to give him a little bit more time. I know we talked about it at the start of the season. I think... You know, come next season, if these, we're still having these problems, then maybe we worry about him. But I don't know what worrying about him does. I mean, what we're going to do? Hound him out? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, start booing him at the ground? Yeah. Um, I don't know where it goes. Really, I kind of feel like I don't understand his job. I don't understand the methods he employs. But he hasn't had these problems previously, so I don't necessarily see him as kind of the next all the cause of it all you know I think the underlying issues that have been there are obviously still present and it will take time for those Mm. to be eroded Um, and in fairness uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is a little bit brittle at times when it comes to his his musculature he you know he's got the 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 groins and the the calves and the the knees and the the hamstrings and stuff like that so yes maybe he's just got growing pains still maybe i mean on aforementioned tunnel cam uh it's notable when he's coming out for the second half that he is kind of stretching out his groin and his hamstring and i think he is someone who's had as you say a few issues with those kinds of injuries and a few niggling problems so Mm. you know that that may be just something he has to live with at present but i i two hamstrings in the space of a week is definitely a a concern interesting to note that um arsenal have started the recruitment process for a soft tissue specialist did you see that no, I didn't see this. Right, I'll just see. If, I'll see if I can uh, see if I can find it here very quickly. Oh yes, actually, yes. They, but they've advertised. Uh, they've advertised the job well, for yeah, a soft tissue specialist dude. You know, um, hang on, let's see. I mean, uh, are you thinking of applying or? Um, I'm, I'm I'm better with hard tissue rather I was than soft say, tissue. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Which is Again, a bit of a bit that, of a that is what I've heard. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but it says the primary purpose of the role is to provide massage appropriate soft tissue techniques along with exercise exercise based rehab to the first team squad and where required the young professionals providing <laughs> the same for injured players under the guidance from physiotherapists. So obviously I they're going to say and and where required the manager. Just, you know, for some fancies a massage, you have to give him one. <laughs> um, but, I mean, obviously there, there's, there's, a, there's um, an acknowledgement that this, this position is necessary, and I guess it's preventative and uh, rehabular. There's, um, there's a word I just made up. But, you know, obviously they're trying to prevent injury and, and to shorten the space of players coming back. Aaron Ramsey didn't seem to be out for too long with that last hamstring strain, did he? No, not too long at all. So two and a half weeks, something mm, like that. So maybe we're seeing some improvement there. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, as I say, I think it's it's still too early to judge a good old Shad, but uh, he's definitely got his work cut out for him. I'll say that much. Mm. All right, one final question from you, if that's all right. Okay, let's go with this. Uh, this is from Rugby Lad UK, two thousand eleven. Surprised he tuned in last night. <laughs> And uh, he asks, "What? Who would you prefer, Giant Killers Bradford or another Topsy Turvy Cup match with Reading?" I would not prefer a Topsy Turvy Cup match with Reading. Um, I would prefer five. Yeah, no thanks. Um, I mean, remarkable as it as it was, pretty much once in a lifetime stuff. Look, I think if you if you're in an FA Cup semi final against Reading or Bradford, you're not overly picky about who. I don't think for any second whatsoever, especially after what happened against Monaco, 
that Arsenal fans can take anything for granted. Look I mean, at what think happened. Of think Wigan of last, last year. Yeah, exactly. Oh, think of Wigan. Think of Hull in the final. You know, it's nice to have an easier route to the FA Cup final and maybe an easier opponent in the FA Cup final. But it's cup football and any old fucking thing can happen. So if, you, if you're complacent in any way, then you're going to get done. You're, you'll get found out. So um, I don't mind which one of them it is. I just want to make sure that when Arsenal go out, they're not going out thinking that this is a game they just need to turn up to win. It's pretty exciting though, isn't it? I mean, mm. it's a big thing that we won that game because, you know, if we went out last night, you could look at it as us potentially going out of two competitions very close to each other. Monaco's still a big, big ask, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I think It'd be probably, desk morphine this morning rather than it desk would be, beer. It would be desk morphine. It would be a real downer. And uh, now the great thing about the FA Cup is if we get to the final, it means the season is sort of kept alive. Do you know what I mean? Whatever happens, yeah. there's always that, that glimmer of hope in the in the distance, that white light at the end of May. A trophy, James. A trophy, a gleaming trophy of mm. all things on the horizon, potentially. And a chance to ruin Stephen Gerrard's big day. Or Tim Sherwood's big day. I mean, it's, you know... Who's, whose day would you prefer to ruin? I, I said this to Andrew Allen last night, that if it's Liverpool in the final, I hope we score five goals and they're all handball. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm bitter about 2001 yeah. or anything, but, you know, fuck And those. all assisted by beautiful Steven Gerrard back passes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 60-yard diagonal crossfield back passes that exactly. we thump into the net like Maradona. Yeah, that would be lovely. Um, I would enjoy that, but I have to say, I do think that my hatred for Tim Sherwood surpasses even my kind of beef with Liverpool. I, I really don't like that man at all. So, and I feel like there's a good chance you would see him cry at the cup final. <laughs> so I have to say that would be that would probably be my preference. All right, this is what it sounds like when Tim cries. Exactly, that's right. the sound I'm desperate to hear. All right, well, look, we're going to leave it there. Um, who have we got the weekend? Who are we playing? West, oh, West Ham. West Ham. Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Three o'clock. Oh, Saturday, three o'clock. It's a, it's a novelty thing they're wow. trying. Yeah, they're, yeah, it's a new idea, I believe. Yeah. Playing football at this crazy time. It'll never catch on. No, I don't think so. All right, well, look, we'll look ahead to the West Ham game and the Arsecast on Friday. We'll be here next Monday with the Arsecast Extra. Um, so until then, have a great one. Yeah, enjoy it, guys. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it too. We I, I don't it. want this to end. No, <laughs> let's keep going. You hang I've up. Got more, I've got more questions. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. All right, okay. Okay, but thank you, Danny Welbeck. I love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.